This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Royal Thai Garden Eva Beach. Royal Thai Garden Eva Beach. The dopest, freshest Thai food that you're ever going to find in your GD life. So go out there, eat it. Stop trying to make yourself happy. Just live the life that you're given and enjoy what you've got. Royal Thai Garden Eva Beach. 20% <laughs> discount for the Blue Hawaii Podcast. Royal Thai Garden Eva Beach. Put it in your mouth. Blue Hawaii. So that commercial was... Aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we've lived an otherwise blameless life, as one judge might say. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the one thing that redeems this whole thing with Trump and like Manafort? Uh, one thing? Sure. Tell me. This theme song. Let's do the drop. Okay. Yeah. Works. We often hear Holly meaning white person in a negative connotation. But it's a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced to foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is haole. I'm Leilani Poliahu. Ahui ho. Haole. Haole is a perfectly good word. Welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Ryan Little. I'm Josh Michaels. And we are here with you today. Yes, Saturday, May 9th. March 9th. May 9th. May 9th. We're recording this two months in the future. Oh, my God. Uh, and let me tell you, yeah. things get a whole lot better. Ooh. Wow. That's it's a, so nice up here. That's optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what happened this week? Well, slow news week as usual. Uh, Paul Manafort, a noted former Trump campaign chair. Uh, a guy that Trump barely knew. International man of mystery. Uh, <laughs> who, who is he? Who is this Manafort? Uh, game, never changer, game changer, worldwide oligarch lobbyist. Uh, Warlord friend. Yeah. Fixer. Uh, basically like Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction, but for the worst people on earth. Uh, he got 47 months in prison. Federal Prison Club fed on eight counts of bank fraud, tax fraud, and failing to file a foreign bank account report. Um, yeah, 47 months. It's a, Well, it's a good thing he's not somebody who posed an actual danger to society like a young black kid with a joint. That's right. Because then, then you know, he would have actually suffered some consequences just by comparison. Uh, Scott Heck or Scott he Scott, excuse me, Scott Hetchinger, a defense attorney on Twitter, says, "For context on Manafort's 47 months in prison, my client yesterday was offered 36 to 72 months for stealing a hundred dollars worth of quarters from a residential laundry room." Yeah, I think the the thing about Manafort is it's just another uh, example of the extreme discrepancy in how the criminal justice system treats rich white people and literally everybody else. Uh, three years ago, in the court in which I work, a Brooklyn teenager was sentenced to 19 years, that's 15 more than Manafort, for setting a mattress on fire that inadvertently led to the death of a responding officer for smoke inhalation. The the thing I will say, though, is a lot of people are super harsh on this judge, like super, super harsh on T.S. Ellis. And I, and I think a lot of that's warranted because Manafort's a pretty bad dude. He was also sentenced to less than a woman who voted while on probation without knowing she wasn't allowed to. That lady got five years. Five years. Well, the, the thing is, though, is that's that's the discrepancy, right? Is that uh, when you're doing rich white-collar crimes, yeah. uh, you get sentencing guidelines, and when you're everybody else, you get mandatory minimums. Oh. And, uh, for instance, last year, um, T.S. Ellis gave a guy 40 years for selling meth, but he didn't have any discretion. He had to give the guy 40 years under mandatory minimums. With guidelines under Manaf on the Manafort case, he could give him less than that. And Ellis has been pretty vocally against mandatory minimums and things like that in the past few years. He's been a really vocal critic. But it's still, it's just a, another example of how the system treats rich white folks Do you and see everybody uh, else. Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump Jr. and all the Fox News folks are already spitting, oh, liberals are such hypocrites. I thought they wanted criminal justice reform. I thought they're talking about the evils of the prison system, but now they want to ruin this you know, this poor old man's life. <laughs> poor like, Paul Manafort. Poor old, oh, poor all he Paul did Manafort. was lobby for a foreign government while working on and the campaign embezzle, embezzle of our current of dollars. Oh, oh, oh. oh, man. Uh, another, I would say, our biggest story of this week, the one that I like the most, yeah. Um, an article came out in Civil Beat. Yes. Uh, building more suburbs could help millennials stay in Hawaii. Uh, the the Where quick are they description put is... Do we have room for suburbs? <laughs> construction on previously undeveloped land is typically less expensive than building an urban course. All right. Pause, everybody. We've talked a lot about why suburban development is a bad idea. Uh, urban sprawl, inefficient use of scarce land resources, incredibly poor use of water, traffic problems, more cars on the road, poorer air quality, obesity rates, depression rates, uh, strain on police and fire resources, strain on medical infrastructure. We could go on. 
Basically, the only people that suburban development benefits are the developers and the uber-wealthy investors who fund or buy the projects. This so what piece, you're saying is, someone benefits. <laughs> this piece was written by Jackson Grubb, maybe Grubby, G-R-U-B-B-E, uh, who is quote, a researcher for the Grassroot Institute of Hawaii, an independent public policy think tank. These are so, the same ones that did the amicus brief that I that crazy lady wrote. did the one... a little digging on okay. this. Yeah. Where so, did they get... Huh, where do they get their funding well, from? Well, let me tell you. Yeah. The Grassroot Institute of Hawaii is a nonprofit public policy think tank that seeks to educate people about the values of individual liberty, this is the, this is economic the same, freedom, these are and the same accountable people. government. These are the same people that said, uh, Hawaii, it's not unfair to say, is enthrall. A million people are subject to a like hardcore racist pro-Hawaiian militia that's like destroying the world, right? I'll go on. Oh, God. So I became intrigued. I did a little more digging. Dig. The Grassroot Institute is a member of the State Policy Network, the nation's leading network of state-based think tanks. Oh. So I went ahead and I looked at the different counterparts in other similarly liberal states. Here's a mission statement from the California Freedom Foundation. Our mission is to advance individual liberty, free enterprise, and limited accountable government. Limited accountable. Okay. They, okay. They, so I'm like, you know. Do they mean like a limited comma accountable or a limitedly accountable government? Limited comma, but probably depends on who's in office, yeah. whether that comma is there or not. Um, oh, there are commas there. So, right. so I said, well, let me look at another liberal state yeah. because this is the leading network of state-based think tanks. New York. Empire Center for Public Policy. The Empire Center for Public Policy Incorporated is an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank based in Albany, New York. Our mission is to make New York a better place to live, okay, uh, and work by okay, giving all our money to rich people by promoting public policy reforms, okay, grounded in, in free market principles, oh, free market principles. personal responsibility, Bootstraps. and the ideals of effective and accountable government. Hmm. hmm. So I said, well, what about Massachusetts? Surely, the, let's let's check in the. I'm l- noticing a theme. Massachusetts Pioneer Institute is an independent, nonpartisan, privately funded research organization that seeks to improve the quality of life in Massachusetts through civic discourse and intellectually rigorous, data-driven public policy solutions. Great, based on free market principles. Ugh. All right. Well, let me go to let's go let's go to Red State America, Mississippi. The mission is uh, to advance the constitutional ideals of liberty and justice by employing an evidence-based approach to public policy, whereby we advocate and advance real conservative ideas policymakers, business leaders in the media. It's, Alabama. It's funny. They're they're pretty, they're a little more straightforward about what they're trying to do. It sounds the like. The Alabama Policy Institute is a nonpartisan, nonprofit research education organization. All right. Dedicated to what? Free markets, limited government, and strong families. Okay. Strong families. So I'm like, all right, this is pretty conservative, but maybe it's just conservative for conservative sake, right? So I do a little bit more digging. Dig. I go to the, the State Policy Network homepage. Here's the headline on one of the articles. State think tanks encourage U.S. Supreme Court to hear first major post-Janus workplace freedom case. Oh. So now we're not union busting. We're workplace freedoming. Um, and then I said, okay, well, this looks like and smells like yeah. and quacks like a Coke-funded think tank. We're not, we're not against environmental regulation. We're liberating the streams to have all sorts of free market pollutants in them. So I just did a quick Google search about state policy networks, yeah. Koch brothers. Report, think tanks tied to Kochs. This is from November 13th, 2013. A network of think tanks across the country is quietly pushing the agenda of right-wing groups with funding from Koch brothers affiliated organizations, a new report alleges. The study by the Liberal Center for Media and Democracy is aimed at the state policy network, which describes itself as, quote, dedicated solely to improving the practical effectiveness of independent, nonprofit, market-oriented, state-focused think tanks, which are operating in all 50 states. But that's not the full story. Somebody, somebody's got to look out for the rich people. Well, they're having such a tough time of things right I know. now. Um, it's hard. It's hard out there. But that's not the full story, according to the Center for Media and Democracy, which builds itself as a nonprofit watchdog group. Um, CMD alleges that rather than a loose coalition of locally focused think tanks, SPN's organizations are using, quote, dark money, a term for money donated for elections without disclosing its source, oh. from conservative and corporate donors like the Koch brothers to push a cookie-cutter conservative agenda at the state level. The term dark money is racist. I don't see color. These aren't just little think tanks that are doing nonpartisan research based on what's happening in the state and really reflective of the culture of those states, said what? Lisa Graves. They're not. An executive surely, director of the sure, CMD. Surely they have to be straightforward and transparent about this. 
It really is. It would be very reckless and irresponsible of them not to be, right? Oh my gosh, how can they keep getting away with this? <laughs> Ryan, won't somebody do something? Well, let me read you a few more quotes <laughs> and you tell me what you think. Um, the State Policy Network and its think tanks combined revenue in 2011 topped 83 million. Are they looking to sponsor a podcast? <laughs> I would. Uh, this Blue Eye Podcast is brought to you by State Policy Networks. Yeah. Uh, let's burn it all down. Um, let's see. State Policy Network's associate members also include a who's who of conservative organizations, including ALEC, David Koch's Americans for Prosperity, Freedom Works, Grover Norquist's Americans for Tax Reform, the Cato Institute, and the Heritage Foundation. It really is another part of the Koch-topus, Graves said, using a nickname given to the network of the conservative brothers. So That's everything except for the Federalist Society. Here's the thing, guys. This grassroots policy institute or whatever they are, yeah. they're not actually concerned with Hawaii. They're not actually concerned with development. They're not These guys grassroots. are purely Coke-funded, what they would call in the political world, AstroTurf, an AstroTurf organization entirely dedicated to pushing the agenda of the Koch brothers and money, their money. billionaire elite. And what's crazy is I, I feel like in Hawaii, a lot of times we feel like money, we're insulated money. from that. I mean, we're so blue, right? We have we have money. the smallest the smallest Republican voting electorate in the country by you know percentage, and you would think we'd be immune, and we're not. Those guys are freaking everywhere. So I know that we sound like radical conspiracy theorists, but anytime you hear one of those insano ideas, dig a little bit deeper and trace that money all the way back. And the great thing is, is because we still have a free and free and open media for now, for now, uh, the press has been reporting on this stuff and there's accumulated information and accumulated research over a period of years that can show you exactly who's funding these groups. So Mr. Grubby, go screw yourself. Also, suburbs would be a bad idea if you want to fix affordability, build more housing units. And, and you tax the rich. And tax the frickin' rich. Back in a moment with more Blue Hawaii Podcasts. Blue Hawaii. Speaking of, uh, we were talking earlier, mandatory minimum sentences. Somebody who's going to probably be doing a lot of prison time soon. Did you oh. see a R. Kelly doing his best Brett Kavanaugh impression? Bro, he looked crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know what? I did. You know what I heard, did not hear during that whole screaming episode? What? I did not hear the word. No. No, I did not. You know. <laughs> no, I have not done those things you're accusing me of. I think it was a lot of why would I do it? Yeah. Why would I do it? Yeah. He said. Yeah. I went to Yale. <laughs> Dude, he looked insane. Yeah. You he looks like a guy that knew he's about to go to prison. You know what else looked insane? What's that? Uh, Donald Trump autographing Bibles for tornado survivors. You know what's funny is. Where that tornado hit, that's where like all my family was growing up. Did, get, uh, did you guys get any autographed Bibles? I am still praying for one for Christmas. Yeah. So well, we'll see what happens. I'll see if I can maybe get it off eBay or something. Yeah. You know, Trump works in mysterious ways. <laughs> uh, speaking of mysterious ways, uh, nothing was more mysterious than Melania Trump, who showed up in a giant pair of sunglasses. Yeah. In a ton so of makeup think, and her I'm not Melania Trump costume because that woman was not Melania we're okay. Trump. I mean, like, as far as thing, egregious things that the White House is doing, I'm pretty sure using a Melania body double is pretty far down the list. Like, yeah. this doesn't actually bother me. It's just, it doesn't bother me. It's, it's just, just so weird. weird. Yeah. Like, the only other person I can think of that used body doubles for a head of state or quasi thereof yeah. was, like, didn't saddam hussein used body doubles probably and like i feel like uday and kusei his two sons also used body doubles like wasn't there's was a movie called devil's double that was about the use of body doubles in the iraqi monarchy or whatever i know it wasn't officially a monarch well but i'm glad that we're taking our cues from the, saddam hussein yeah saddam hussein <laughs> yeah so just uh, wait for uh all you bathists yeah. out there you've got a good thing going speaking of uh Saddam Hussein. Speaking of unpopular strongman leaders and unexplained leaves of absence, Keith Kaneshiro, the embattled city of Honolulu prosecutor, will be stepping down temporarily during this investigation, finally bowing to months and months and months and months of pressure, uh, also known as, how the hell can this guy still prosecute anything and be in charge of anybody? Uh, we got that answer, and he will not be. <laughs> uh, also, here's what's not passing at the Hawaii legislature this year. Oh, sure. This is a long list. Senate Bill 4 could have lowered the voting age to 16 for state and local elections. House bills 1588 and 1589 would have allowed the top two vote getters in the August primaries to advance to the November general election regardless of their political party. The 5,400 incarcerated individuals in Hawaii's prison and jails, along with the 1,450 inmates held in Arizona, will likely not be able to vote this year. 
Senate Bill 1503 did not clear a final joint hearing by the Senate Judiciary and Ways and Means Committees. House Bill 424 would have required the state to start reducing the number of inmates it sends to private prisons on the mainland by July and to stop the practice altogether by 2035. Surprise, we're not going to do that. Senate Bill 1538 would have forced courts to set bail at reasonable amounts after it considered a defendant's financial circumstances. Well, that seems that seems so like wild and yeah, reckless. Let's make it really yeah. high. Poor yeah. people need to be in jail. HB 294 would require the release of any defendant charged with a minor crime who does not pose a flight risk or a danger to the community. A bill to ban people with three or more Waikiki-related misdemeanors from being in the district at night also died. Uh, Senator Mike Gabbard and Rep. Representative Sam Kong introduced two bills that would have charged Hawaii residents $20 to unblock porn sites. We have good roads then. Woo. Funny thing about that, somebody posted on Twitter the other day the top uh, search terms for uh, by females yeah. on Pornhub. In Hawaii. Or in just Hawaii. In, general. in Hawaii, all the map said was Hawaii. Like. And I'm just like, huh. Ah, ah. So we're a little narcissistic, right? Yeah, a little bit. It, I mean, it is very beautiful here. Yeah. Oh, um, it's beautiful. All right. <laughs> House Bill 24 would have outlawed bestiality in Hawaii. Hey, good news, everybody. Bestiality is still legal. Also, uh, bills for police standards board failed. The, oh. the state's new law enforcement standards board wanted four more years and 275000 before it set certification standards for state law enforcement officers I'm, in the four county police departments. You know, I'm sure that's not an issue. It's not like the cops have been shooting a whole bunch of people or like the former police chief is under indictment for being the biggest drug dealer in the state. You know, like it's no problem. Uh, oh, Hawaii Infrastructure got its report card from the American Society of Civil Engineers. D plus. That's, He's nuts. That's, <laughs> that's really reassuring. That's great. Wonderful. I should. I should. The number, other news, the number of homeless living on Oahu streets jumped 12% in the past year, while the overall number, including those living in shelters, dropped by 4%. Uh, you know what? It did, That number did not drop or jump 12%. You know what happened is all the people that they pushed out to the west side over the last few years, the west side pushed them all back to town. Uh, and that's why like last year, like, oh, the number dropped 10%. Yeah. And then this year, like numbers up 10%. It's almost as if it's totally arbitrary. It's and, totally yeah. arbitrary. Uh, North Korea is reportedly restoring facilities at its long-range rocket launch site that it had dismantled as There's part of... There's no way, dude. Trump, Trump took care of it. Uh, Jared Kushner's in trouble. Security clearance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, enough about that. You know what I want to talk about? What? I want to talk about... Ilhan Omar. No, I do not want to talk about Ilhan Omar. Everybody... Uh, same BS, different day. Folks, you've heard us talk about this a million times. Don't sweat it. Moving on. Uh, you ever uh, you ever get real turned on by the flag? Because... <laughs> Every day. When I saw the way I, like our president caressed that flag at CPAC, God, I, it made me so proud to be an American. Uh, he moved on it like a bitch. And they just let him. He's, when you're that rich, it just let him. Uh, making sweet, tender love to old glory. Here is a headline from Mick Sweeney's, the purveyor of great short stories and, and comedic essays. Back to back to some Ilhan Omar news. Yes, please share. <laughs> I like this. I enjoyed this. I support strong women of color, unless they are politically to my left. <laughs> <laughs> just in time for International Women's Day. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, we have a, an amazing guest for you. We are talking to Melanie Warner. She is an author and a journalist. She used to write for the New York Times. She used to write for Fortune. You don't want to miss it. No, she's got. she is out with a new book talking all about the placebo effect and alternative medicine. More in a minute. On Blue Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Welcome back to the show. We have a very, 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 very legit guest here for you today. We're going to tell you all about it. Melanie Warner is an author and a freelance journalist based in Honolulu. She previously chronicled Silicon Valley's dot-com boom for Fortune magazine and covered the American food industry for the New York Times. Her first book, Pandora's Lunchbox, How Processed Food Took Over the American Meal, came out in 2013, and she's just out now with another exciting read, The Magic Feather Effect, The Science of Alternative Medicine and the Surprising Power of Belief. It's available now wherever fine books are sold. Melanie, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Awesome. So, first off, where did you get the inspiration for this book? Uh, it came to me in a dream. No, it didn't really come oh, to me in a dream. Like, wow, the psychic. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> the magic dreaming. Effect. Yeah, I feel like then your next book will be called like, uh, yeah, the magic dream. Why dreams aren't real. <laughs> yeah. There were just a lot of feathers in my dream and I had to, no, I was really curious about, uh, alternative medicine, not from really from a personal point of view. I mean, I had, I'd had a little bit of exposure to it. I'd done acupuncture years ago. A sure. friend of mine in New York 
had done some acupuncture on me. I just wanted to see what it was like. But I was curious because the debate is so polarized. Like there were people that are so devoted to the practices that they do. And I would hear healing stories from people like this completely worked. You know, I went to a homeopath, homeopath and they cured me. And people are so devoted to it, acupuncture, and I'd hear stories about energy healing. Yeah. And then you have skeptics on the other side who um, just really like ridicule it, poo-poo it. It's all BS. It's all BS. It's all nonsense. People are wasting their time. And you hear it from some doctors and and scientists that will say it's all all useless. So, and I I always, I suspected that wasn't, um, there was a, you know, some rich fertile ground in the middle that where the true story was. So that's, that's where I started. Now is, is alternative medicine for our listeners? Is it, a, is it sort of a catch all term for anything yeah. that's not white lab coat? Exactly. Medicine, medicine. Doctor? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a very nebulous term and sure. there's literally endless numbers of things involving alternative medicine. So yeah, it's anything that's, that's outside of the mainstream. That's not taught in mainstream medical schools and it's not practiced in hospitals and, and doctor's offices. So it's a lot of things, but I, I wanted to look at the, the, practices that um, are more common and that have some actual scientific research to them. So that's things like acupuncture, um, Tai Chi. There's even some um, research for energy healing, like Reiki, um, chiropractic. So those are the ones I looked at. I did not look at like sleeping on magnet beds or healing with crystals. So you didn't look at the real ones then? um, Yes. Or Or like crazy cures for cancer. I did not look at those. Like the vitamin, was it vitamin B or something like that? There's like a documentary and it's like, oh, vitamin B will cure your cancer. Yeah. You guys didn't hear that? I did not hear that. No. And I didn't, I mean, this this gets into more, more, more of the book, but like I didn't, I wanted to understand what these therapies, the ones that do have some promise, what they can actually be used for and because you hear you hear claims that you can you can heal yourself of anything with particular whether it's using your mind or with some particular therapy so i came in kind of skeptical about that and wanting to probably for the best what can it really be used for yeah what was like the most exciting thing that you felt because i mean you you really like how you wrote this book over several years like it was obvious reading it it's like this was not a short Thing. Like the you went no, I missed yeah. my first deadline. Uh, my first deadline, I think I had two years to write it, and then I just it wasn't done. I mean, so. you, well, I got you went another to year. Italy. You went to Colorado. You went to yeah, like France, Germany. Germany. Yeah, like you were uh-huh. all over. Yeah, you went to France. I forgot, but yeah, yeah, that was one of the cooler chapters. Like yeah. you went all over the place. So like yeah, each was... chapter gets into a different field or a different category. Yeah, a different. Um, sometimes I start with a healing story, and sometimes I start with a particular therapy or a particular. Um, like I spent some time at UCLA, do it, uh, looking at their research that they're doing on relaxation. So yeah, each chapter gets into some. Different- it was it was very interesting in the format because I felt like it was like here's this really inspirational story about this person who overcame the odds with this amazing alternative therapy. Mm-hmm. Now here's why that's bullshit. <laughs> i was reading it i was like i would read this it got to the point i was reading the stories and i was was like this person had like energy healing and now they can like you know uh there was a story of a guy who had a a disease where um his joints would ossify they would turn into bone and he was having an energy healer come in and it was like now he have all of a sudden has freedom of movement in certain joints that he didn't have before and i was like oh my god he overcame the odds and it was like but here's why it wasn't the energy. And I was like, oh, no, I wanted there yeah. to be a little more magic in the world. Well, and here's why he still has the disease, too, yeah. right? It's not going to, you're not going to use energy healing to cure a genetic disorder. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Well, I, and I thought that was a really interesting thing. So um, there is a, there is a, a doctor um, in Italy who you were speaking with, whose name escapes me. And uh, he made the point that like, all of this is, purely placebo what we would call placebo but then mm-hmm. you spoke to another doctor back in the states who who sort of um reconceptualized sickness as a split between illness and disease and i thought that was such an interesting reconceptualization which i, I know he'd done it decades ago but it was so interesting to to talk about the social factor versus like the physical factor of like what the sickness is yeah. and i think that's kind of what you're getting at is like it doesn't like the guy whose joints were ossifying, like he felt better. Like he felt better for a reason, but his yeah. his joints were no less ossified. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did have a little bit of change in the movement of his joints. Um, but that was, I explained in the book how that, how that happened. I don't think it was because of life force energy moving in his body. Yeah. I think that they actually cleared out some, um, 
some edema in that was there in his body and the therapist helped him with that. So, and that's like a real thing. Like that's, sure. you know, no, it was, it was cleaning out lymph nodes, you know? Yeah. It was brilliantly written. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that was kind of like, uh, I think um, on first, my first like three quarters of reading, I was like, it felt like it was, I, I felt like I was just being like, well, all of this is placebo. And then I felt like somewhere in the middle, I sort of understood that I, I felt like the message was like, you know, the placebo effect is still an effect yeah let's just understand and also when you say like when you say it like that too it's like well all this is just placebo it's yeah. sort of dismissing it exactly right? Right. Yeah, yeah it's not nothing it's, exactly but, yeah. and that's that's where my book led me that yeah. it's not no. nothing and we shouldn't and yeah. there's a tendency still for people to dismiss it and yeah. say well if it's placebo it's not really that important yeah. but i mean i experienced the placebo effect yeah. at a lab and at the university of maryland and it's oh, kind that of was so cool. I, it's I stopped, kind of like I abracadabra, and but told my wife about it. I right. was like, "This is the coolest thing in the world." But it's real. It happens, and this yeah. was particularly with pain, which is there is a really good placebo effect for pain. Would for, you tell that story really? Quickly? Most people have it. Yeah, um, it was a, a researcher at the University of Maryland. Her name is Luana Kalaka, and she said, "Come, you know, experience. You know, you've talked to all these researchers about the placebo effect. You've read studies. Come experience it." So I did, and I sat in her lab, um, her pain chair, and she hooked me up to like a heat device that would send heat signals. And I had to rate it like from one to 10. And she, um, she had a computer screen and she told me whenever the, the screen is red, it's going to be, it's going to be hot. And whenever it's green, it's going to be, it's going to be low. And that's what it was until the last round when she switched it, but she didn't tell me she was switching it until later. And so it was basically an experience of what it felt like an eight or nine, like really, really hot burning sensation that only lasted a couple minutes or seconds rather. Thank you. Um, thankfully the, and then, um, and then a minute later, because the screen was green, I didn't feel it hmm. like it was gone, but she hadn't changed the dial. She didn't, she didn't she change didn't the dial. Yeah. It was the same. It was the same high heat on the last round. She did two rounds where it was what it was supposed to be. And then the last round she switched oh, it up. Okay. So basically what happens it happened is my brain blocked the signal coming up from my arm. I didn't feel it because I didn't because I expected that I wasn't going to feel it. I had learned my brain had learned not to produce pain um in response to the signals coming up from my body. So yeah. cool. So it's fascinating. Well, so it yeah. I I I feel like uh one of the best examples of uh when you're saying the placebo effect is not nothing, you traveled to Germany and went to, uh, in Tübingen, you went to, uh, it's a good pronunciation. Yeah. Is it right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, Tübingen. Yeah. I thought it was right. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend that lives there, so I'll confess. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you went to the, I think it was the university hospital in Tübingen uh -huh. and, uh, they have a psychosomatic unit yeah. and you were, you, you went into great pains to talk about how people, hear the term psychosomatic good word choice great pains <laughs> yeah there you go yeah. pun not intended yeah. uh they hear the word psychosomatic and they sort of think that of somebody saying well it's all in your head it's all in your head and that yeah, this and they unit think that someone's calling them crazy yeah, yeah. Right? the the term has really negative associations yeah. and, which is unfortunate it's just like placebo effect we need you can't instead of saying like oh it's the placebo effect like we have to say no it's the placebo effect yeah. like, it's all about tone and, and well like, and, how you look at it and exactly. i you did a great job even renaming that and finding like other research people calling it contextual healing and things like that like, i thought that was fantastic but when you you went to germany and they were attacking these like complex problems with just a plethora of alternative treatments yeah. and people were seeing such amazing results of yeah. things that previously you know medicine couldn't help yeah and so it's like that contextual healing really is real. That placebo effect, like you said, it's not it nothing. Real. Yeah, we. And, I mean, yeah. we have a bias in medicine to think, well, if it's not a drug, right, and if it's not going into the body and molecularly changing something, um, or yeah. if you're not going in with surgery and fixing something, taking something out, sealing something up, putting a stent in, whatever, then it's not, it's not real medicine. But the fact is that the brain is an amazing... Uh, organ in the body capable of so much we haven't even scratched the surface so if you're changing people's brains right through mind body uh, therapies and you're changing their mindsets you're changing um, how they think about themselves how they think about their disease how they feel in their body right like how their brain interprets all those signals coming up from the body like there's so much more research there's lots more to be done but there's so much more research and I, I found talking to scientists that this is real medicine 
and it can really it can really help people but we still have this bias that like well if it's a psychological approach or if it's a it's a um, mind-based approach it's not really real it's not as real as as the other stuff well I, like you mentioned uh people can if they take a certain narcotic over a period of days you can switch it to a sugar pill and the sugar pill will still produce the same narcotic effect in their mind like they'll still feel an easing of pain and you you mentioned that for instance is a really good uh idea for say um limiting people's addictive potential to like opiates or something like that like yeah. you can like it, it's just it's fantastically interesting all the different possibilities yeah, that that's you're like, doctors about. are still trying to figure out how like how do we, so there's the placebo effects exist right and if you have it in alternative medicine that's one thing but how do you use it in conventional medicine they still haven't quite figured that out because you can't you can't lie to patients and give them a sugar pill. So they're trying to figure out how do we do this honestly and ethically. So that's one thing where you could switch up somebody's pain pills and have sugar pills as like half of them. Mm. So they're not getting as high of a dose um, and you don't tell them which one it is. But you have to tell them, look, we're doing this. Placebo, the placebo effect can be f- powerful because there are studies that show even when people know that they're getting a, pl- a sugar pill, a placebo, it, it can still, still be effective. Yeah. Yeah, for a surprisingly high percentage of people. You know, uh, yeah. Another, another. I, I've been fascinated with this topic for years, and so I, this book, I thought I, I couldn't put it down. Um, one of the things, I, I, it reminded me of a story that I heard on This American Life of this. Uh, I, one of the correspondents is Chinese, and um, her family called her. She still lived in China. She lived in the states, and said, "Hey, Grandma's got cancer. You need to come." They say it's really, really bad. She's maybe got a few months left and so she gets over there and grandma's in good spirits and um she's there she's like you know how is she so cheery and they go oh we haven't told her that she has stage four cancer and she's only got a few months left to live and but everybody came over and they were having this nice party and everybody's like you know having a really good time and they never told her and she lived like four more years <laughs> wow yeah. because simply like you said because your your brain is so powerful that yeah. under like gaining new information can have this massive positive yeah. or massively negative effect. Yeah. So that's the nocebo effect, right? If the nocebo. Nocebo. Effect. Nocebo. Oh, yeah. where you don't know something. Yeah. The flip side of the placebo effect where if, if you, if you think that something is going to hurt you or you think that it you're, will think that you're sick, it will, you can create symptoms and it's actually unfortunately more powerful than the placebo effect. Mm, so interesting. not, yeah. So someone not knowing they have cancer, could have an effect on the progression of their their disease. Yeah, exactly. To yeah. me, that's like the coolest thing yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at your at your first book, a lot of the reviews described it as you know you were going after big food or like the the, Amer- the big food industry stuff. Did you receive any sort of criticism here? Like you're going after big big alter- big, <laughs> big medicine, big, yeah, big, big chiropractic, no. and then and then what sort no. of what sort of did you get any sort of pushback from this book or any any. Um, Anything like I that? did. I mean, no, well, actually, the pushback I got in- initially was some of the some of the energy healers I talked to were mad at me because I wasn't accepting their uh, their theories about their how their therapies worked. Like I was, I didn't become a believer in life force energy, and they they weren't super happy about that. But I was I was able to kind of work that out with them and explain to them <laughs> where I was coming from. You know, are I you and a, Donna Eden still friends? Um, yeah, I don't know about friends, but yeah, her, she was one of them. Her, her husband was kind of mad at me and annoyed. And I, I while had, he was talking about like, I'm getting a lawyer and, oh, wow. and all this. Ooh. Yeah. Before the wow. book came out. But then we got the lawyer from the publisher to <laughs> write back and he sort of stopped because he, re- he really had no reason to be contacting a lawyer. Yeah. He was just trying to scare me. Well, is you're it, publishing it on Scribner or through Scribner, which is a Simon and Schuster imprint. So when you get the Simon and Schuster lawyers email, you are, and they, they've they're dealt created, with this a million yeah. times yeah. before. Like yeah. they've, they know people who don't like what's written about them. They sure. know how to deal with them. So I was really impressed with, uh, your ability to think very critically and ask, potentially really uncomfortable questions of these people because anytime, I mean, the same as with what we would call Western allopathic medicine, people who are trained in a paradigm believe that paradigm. They believe it really fully. And you would go into these people's, you know, offices or homes or wherever, and you would ask them like, well, can you, 
how do you know it's not this or how do you know it's yeah. not that or prove this or prove that and like yeah i was just imagining you had a lot of uncomfortable conversations well, was there a lot of awkward silence but i didn't know because i didn't go in like trying to debunk to challenge yeah i wasn't going into debunk I, I did have a process in the book and i sort of folded it into one chapter where i looked at like well let me take a look let me try and be open-minded to see whether there is um, something to the energy, life force energy in the body, meridians. Everyone calls it by a different name. Chi, sure. acupuncturists use it. And I was open to that. And I thought, well, if I can have like a personal experience of it, because people would talk about feeling like tremendous heat in their body. Mm -hmm. They would talk about feeling like tingling. They'd have these sort of like transcendental experiences. Sometimes like the people giving the, the therapies would talk about heat coming out of their hands. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that would like that would be kind of interesting if I could feel something. It doesn't prove anything, but it's like a reason to keep keep searching. Oh, this is the seeing is believing chapter at the very end. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I did different sessions with lots of people. I didn't write write about them all in the book, but I don't know. I did like maybe like ten different okay. different sessions. That sounds fun. Like it and sounds. Yeah. 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 Out of so the box. Wanted, yeah. Wanted to experience it, but um, yeah, I didn't have anything that was that blew my mind you know okay. it, they were all super relaxing yeah and uh you get into like a really relaxed state even more like you get a massage and you get into a relaxed state this is like a kind of a different level of relaxation that that i got into with a lot of these things like okay. uh like energy healing and relaxation is good the recce There's no problem yeah. with that yeah but i didn't have any like i wasn't lifted off the table yeah. and like i didn't i didn't feel like a surge of uh you know Unlock all the potential surge of, the universe of like moonbeams yeah. coming through me. It didn't. That didn't this, happen. This is a very technical question. Yeah. Uh, what exactly are chakras? Yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> Whatever you want them to be. They are energy, energy like vortexes in the body. So okay. they're supposed to be. Oh my god, I'm forgetting. Like <laughs> nine of them. I think there's nine, and they go through the midline of the body. So all the way like from your head down to your pelvis. Huh. And supposedly you know people say that they can look at your or feel your chakra and they can tell well this chakra is weak and this chakra is strong and that means that you're you know you're like a selfish person oh. or you're you're having like, you need to eat more kale you're yeah your yeah. sexual energy's off or whatever sorry bro you know uh, I, I get that a lot <laughs> just by looking at me you can tell no, that, no, no. That's sexual, I didn't, that's sexual, I didn't sexual energy when is I really off yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's weird it's, you know like i'd be just walking mm. along downtown and all these indian men come up to me and they just want <laughs> your yeah. sexual energy like, <laughs> um but here's the fascinating thing that i thought and this was just my my pure my theory and speculation doing you know doing this book is that and i and and so donna eden you mentioned her she says that she can see people's chakras she can sure. see their meridians she can see auras and not in in multiple layers of it in in color and and what I came to the conclusion of, I think a lot of people that go into this line of work are extremely intuitive. I mean, sure. some people are more intuitive than others and they can read people's um, emotions, states of mind um, in very, very subtle ways. And I think that they're translating that into, it's, it's, a, it's kind of like a metaphor and a way to explain it. So if you, if you perceive something about someone, mm -hmm. you know, when you meet them and you're very intuitive, you could, you could talk about that as a chakra. Yeah. But what it really is, is you're just kind of tuning into yeah. things that are going on with them. Well, and then, well, so, then I so, sort of wonder, is that something that's like, I mean, is there an argument that maybe that's more than just like this rational empirical experience that maybe there is something, I guess well, that would be yeah. their argument, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, there is an X factor. Yeah, like I, I am intuitive is. and I get, you know, yeah. I, that's sure. part of the mm -hmm. magic of my energy healing. Right. So. Like how do really intuitive people get their information? Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, like how are they able to do it? And someone like me is not. I mean, I can get vibes from people, but I don't get yeah. that level of connection with people that yeah. someone like Donna Eden and yeah. other or, energy healers do. Uh, I can't. I can't remember his name right now. Your description of the um, the back pain expert, the the one who like that was his, that was his skill. Oh, Adam. Uh, sorry, yeah. the Adam was a guy who was healed, and so Peter Churchill, a guy in Peter Churchill, in, sounded amazing. Boulder. Cool. Yeah. yeah, he was really cool. Yeah, he, he had a very seems... interesting life story, and uh. he was a very like there's the, the people that I met in the book um, who do alternative healing, um, they're so different from the people you encounter in the medical field, sure. and, which is not a, a, a knock on the, on the medical field at all. But they sit down with you. They look at you. They make you feel like what you're telling them is, is very important and very yeah. meaningful. Like they never dismiss what you're saying, which is extremely validating. And for people that have illnesses, especially 
illnesses that doctors can't necessarily say, okay, this is what it is. And this mm. is why you have it. This is why you're experiencing pain. You know, this is why your stomach is going crazy all the time. Um, it's super validating and it can actually be kind of healing too, to have someone say, you know what, I see you, I feel you, and we're going to work on this together. Yeah. I, th I thought that was a really interesting point. I th at one point you were telling a, a story or relay, another person was telling a story to you of a, of a doctor that they worked with when they were a young resident mm -hmm. and everybody felt better after talking to this guy. And it was only yeah. because instead of coming in and saying, here's what's wrong with you, he said, well, tell me what's going on. And people just got it all out and then they all of a sudden felt better because somebody had heard them and just yeah. listened to what was going going on with them, which is so different than yeah. any time that you go to a doctor now and they just they run you through like cattle, which yeah. gets into structural issues with our medical system. But Yeah, that was a story that um, the, the dean of medical education at, at Harvard Medical School told me because I was saying he's, he was he surprised me that in, in the sense that he was talking about all the psychological stuff and treating people as a person and not just as a disease mm -hmm. and looking at um, what they're going through in terms of like their stress, their emotions. HMSA doesn't cover uh, <laughs> treating people as people. Yeah. No, they don't. They yeah. don't, they don't yeah. care about your divorce and you can't your code for financial that. problems. Yeah. And, uh, and he was saying like, look, all that we try and train future uh, doctors at, at Harvard about this. And it, it tends to get lost in the system when they get out there and they have, cause doctors really have to do so much. They mm -hmm. can't just focus on that. Right. Um, and I was saying, well, how can they really be expected to do this when they have such a short amount of time with a patient? Sometimes it's like 15 to 20 minutes or even less. And that's when he told me the story of this, this mentor of his, um, that would go in and sit down with patients always like he wouldn't, you know, sometimes doctors come in and they like stand up over you, sure. especially if you're in a, in a bed in the hospital, he would always sit down like eye level, sometimes touch their arm or their shoulder and just say, uh, something like really open-ended question, like what's going on or what do I need to know? You know, not like, how's your knee or what's going on with your back or yeah. how's your, you know, how's your heart today or whatever. So I, Very cool. that guy sounds awesome. I know. Also, I think, uh, he's, I think he's deceased now, but anyway, no one. <laughs> well, the Dean of part, I mean, if he's Dean at Harvard, oh, that, like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. gotta be that his mentor has gotta be old. Yeah. Um, you also went to Dr. Gary Bell here in Honolulu for yeah. chiropractic treatment, yeah. which I mean, talk about the merits of chiropractic, however you want, but shout out to him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like he's doing good work. Yeah. Sound like, uh, it was a good experience. It was. Um, yeah. yeah. One question that I also had unrelated Dr. Gary Bell, just want to shout out him since he made it in the book. Um, being a rationalist, was it difficult because at, dif at different times, like one of the things I loved about it is you, like you were saying earlier, you tried all of these treatments, like not all of them, but yeah. a lot of them, like you, you're talking about uh, the, the healing pools in Lyon in France. You went there and like you jumped in this frigid yeah. water. Like you did the thing that you're supposed to do. Like, yeah. But if, let, me, let me just say like, about being a rationalist. Like I, I came into this, I mean, I started like four years ago. Well, but maybe even like four and a half years ago, like when I started working on the, just the book proposal. And I, at, back at that time, I was much more, um, I was much more willing and wanting to be a believer. I really was like, I wasn't, um, I wasn't gung ho on any of this. I wasn't convinced, but I actually was, there were moments where I was like, you know what? I think it might exist. Let me, let me see if I can find some proof, you know? So, so I came, so I'm, and I, and th throughout doing the book, I, I came to a much more materialistic, rational belief system than um, I started out with. Hmm. So whatever that's worth. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, when I was reading the book, like I couldn't help but think of what's called observer theory and quantum mechanics, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which, you mm -hmm. know, I'm, I'm a person that thinks okay. of those things quite frequently. I guess, I guess we're going there now. Wikipedia.org slash quantum mechanics. Basically, for, for people listening at home, observer theory basically states that the sheer act of observing something can change its outcome. Um, for instance, there's been experiments where researchers have shot like a single electron, mm -hmm. one by one, single electrons, one by one against an electron-proof barrier with two holes in it. Um, and you would naturally expect the researchers did. Well, that if, it's got, if it's got two holes, it's not electron-proof. <laughs> well, they put the holes in there. Um, they, they expected that um, at the end of the experiment, the electrons would all be grouped into two groups, the ones that went through the one hole and the ones that went through the other hole. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the results, the electrons ordered themselves into a completely random looking pattern. Yeah. However, when uh, they set up an electron detector that measured uh, which electron went through which hole, 
the electrons at the end of the experiment are in two distinct groups. And basically, the uh, conclusion of that of that research has shown that the sheer act of observing something um, changed the outcome of the thing or the outcome of what you were what you were measuring. And so, like, you spent quite a bit of time at different points talking about the the gold standard of Western medicine, the the double blind study, and how uh, particularly with acupuncture, how um, people would have favorable treatment outcomes, even if they were just laying on their stomachs and poked with toothpicks and they thought it was a needle exactly. and it didn't even matter where you were poking them that yeah. it, you know, it, yeah. but they believed them... they were getting acupuncture. So, and, and well, so yeah. what I was wondering is if, is it, is it possible? I mean, to push back, I was trying to think critically as you think critically in the book, like, could it be that the sheer act of observing these things sort of changes the outcome that when you're looking at it under this sort of laboratory environment that it somehow changes the you're saying in the studies from the researchers that are doing it yeah like do you know what i mean like if Uh if it can happen at the at the subatomic level can it happen at the the macroatomic level right well that's the big question right because we're we're not subatomic particles and last time i checked (laughs) well carl sagan says we're all stardust so that's true yes but we we have lots of different properties true and, you know, we're not electrons. We can't become electricity the way, the way electrons can. So the fact that all these crazy and weird things happen at the subatomic level that form quantum mechanics, um, doesn't it's a humongous leap to think that that can apply to anything in the visible world. Well, Schrodinger had the Schrodinger's cat thing, right? Which states that everything's in a, a quantum state until you observe it, which... But is it everything, or is it just subatomic particles? Because well, the cat was was macroatomic. It was a it was a real cat in his hypothesis. Right. Yeah. But the cat was just a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, God, I hope so. I hope this poor the cat. cat didn't the die. cat. I'm pretty sure the cat wasn't in two places at the same yeah, time. Yeah. No, no. No. I, I just yeah. I, I just thought it was an interesting. It was no. Just I'm something... pushing back on this because there is a thread in in alternative uh, medicine. Like Deepak Chopra has written about this. He has quantum. Healing is a book, right? It's a zillion copies. And there's Quantum Touch, which is a a therapy I looked at a little bit. And they believe that because there's something called quantum mechanics and all these spooky things (laughs) happen that you can then use that, that that somehow is scientific evidence for some sort of, yeah, yeah, supernatural healing. And it's just a humongous, humongous leap. And there's, there's just zero evidence for it at that point, at this point. I'm not saying that we know that it, it, there, there's nothing to it, zero nothing, but there's no evidence for it. Yeah, that was, I, I even hesitated to use the term quantum mechanics, not the least of which reasons is because uh, I sound like a giant pretentious jerk, but um, because the fact of like Ooh, quantum touch yeah. uh, popping up and like, the, I feel like the word quantum is like, well, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, and there's a, a quantum university here in Honolulu. Oh, is there really? There is. It's okay. a virtual university. I it's assume it's for, for profit. profit. <laughs> I think it's for probably. It just bought Argosy, probably. probably. What a shocker! Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So here's here's my broader question. Yeah. Um, I think you sort of address this in places throughout the book, but like, why upset the apple cart? You know, like if if the placebo is not nothing, um, and if like if the placebo is not nothing, why put material out there that could threaten the benefits that a person gets from a placebo? Like. It's uh-huh. kind of like we're red pilling uh-huh. ourselves whenever we <laughs> read this book right. um, where I'm like, wow, next time I go to the chiropractor, am I not going to get the benefit that I want? Or next time I get right. acupuncture, am I still going to feel good? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. you ever think that it's when you were question. writing it? Like, Good question. Like, yeah. Am I ruining this for somebody? Yeah. Well, there's two things. One is that even if you know that something isn't working as it's proclaimed to, like with the sugar pill. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's been studies where people take sugar pills and they're told, hey, this is a sugar pill. It's ri- placebo is written right on it. But in so- but there's a possibility that some people will experience effects anyway. If you tell people that they still do. Right. So that's called like an open placebo. Mm. So open placebos can still be effective. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is it's just a broader issue of looking at alternative medicine and the way that medicine Um, as a whole can improve. So I think unless alternative therapies are willing to look at how their therapies actually work, I mean, you look at something like acupuncture, which has been practiced for 2000 years. So there's something to it. Um, There's probably something to the, the needles, whether it's poking the body or going into the body that has an effect. 
let's look at that. Like, let's look at the nervous system. Let's look at the central nervous system in the brain and how it affects things going on in our body in ways that we know about, right? They're like the known physiology of the body. Instead of talking about meridians and chi and stuff that like, frankly, is thousands of years old, pre-scientific era when people didn't even know that like the heart pumped the blood, you know, like really basic so you know the four humors, and then you know uh, if you have a if you have a headache, you drill a hole in your skull and <laughs> exactly rock and roll exactly, and 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 like taking out like several pints of blood is going to heal you. That yeah. was the era in which acupuncture was, uh, it was um, created in. So it was a very very different time. So I think in order for alternative alternative therapies like acupuncture. And chiropractic, I mean, chiropractic has already come a long way, but it, to be even more accepted, you need to really understand, like, what is the mechanism? Like, scientifically speaking, what is the mechanism? Otherwise, it's always going to be alternative. One of the interesting things that I came across prior to reading your book, I, I was in college, I took a class on medical sociology, and our teacher challenged us to, like, figure out a way to rate the effectiveness of a medical system. And what everybody came up with was infant mortality rate and uh, life expectancy. Mm-hmm. Those are like the, the two gold standards. And then he made us compare what we have in the U.S. to what they have in China, what they have in India, what they have in all these other places that supposedly have lesser developed allopathic medical traditions. And lo and behold, all of those places do a better job of keeping their babies alive and mm-hmm. living longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of, I, I don't know, it sort of sparked a curiosity to understand like what is it about acupuncture that makes people feel better? And I, so I was really appreciative of reading this book and getting a better understanding of the physiological um, aspects of it outside just the philosophical because I think that's what most people are trading in these days is philosophy rather than the physiology. So yeah, fantastically interesting book. Yeah, thank um, you. Are you ready for the tough questions now? Here's here's the hard-hitting yeah, ones. Yeah, those weren't the tough ones? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so some, you're, this has nothing to do with uh, your, your, your chakras are okay, but somehow uh-huh. you've ended up shipwrecked on a desert island. Yeah. And you can only bring one book, uh-huh. one movie, and one album. Oh, God. What do you bring? You didn't prepare me for this? No. This, no. This is, we, don't, no. we don't give our people no. the questions ahead of time. No. But if you listen this to our other interviews, DNC. we do ask we everybody the questions yeah. ahead of time. Um, okay. One book, one album. And yes. one movie. And one movie. And one movie. Mm-hmm. And you do it, for some reason, you do have a TV. Maybe there's one already on the island. Yeah. And uh, so a I can pick player. a TV. Okay. Just so I have access to yeah. this. And not, you, yeah. you don't just look at them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the cover art. So, you know, cover art is important, but yeah. there are other yeah parameters here too um gosh the book one is going to be hard i would say for the album um okay computer by radiohead interesting okay Uh uh-huh okay um movie that's also really hard Mm -hmm. come on how do you narrow it down it's got to be a movie that you um can watch over and over yeah because even like really good movies some of them don't are not rewatchable that's true so it's got to be one that's always enjoyable to watch um i'm gonna go with fight club okay oh wow okay Mm-hmm. Can you spell Chuck Palahniuk? Uh, no. I can't either. Somebody asked me that the other day. It, and I was like, I tried really hard and I couldn't. And I, I don't think I could even right now. This is good though. You know, we, this yeah. is for such a, you know, a show that is very millennial centric. We're letting Gen X have their moment right now. That's right. <laughs> Radiohead, Fight Club. <laughs> Gen X, I mean. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make myself sound younger. Is it working? Yeah, you, saw, you sound super young. Uh-huh. You sound super young. The, so. the choker ne- necklace really helps. Yeah. Um, all right. And what about, um, what about book? Oh God, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. And if you don't come up with a good answer in ten seconds, the, it's the Bible. The feather effect. The- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say uh, Jack Kerouac on the road. Oh I, man, that's those probably- are very classy choices. Classy. I yeah. feel like you can tell that you lived in New York with those choices. Like, yeah. wow, those yeah. are good. Yeah. Like, I love. I mean, yeah. what would you choose, Josh? So I'm We're out of time, I'm not folks. The guest. <laughs> uh, okay, and the next big question, you know, you wrote you wrote the book about the food industry. You are qualified to talk about food. Mm-hmm. You've lived in Honolulu a while now. How long have you been here Some for? Um, three and a half years. Okay, okay, that's long enough. Favorite, yeah, enough. Not favorite, yet, but yeah. Favorite go-to recommended restaurant. Uh, Mudhead yeah. Water. Oh, okay. I like to keep it local. What do you get there? Um different things <laughs> food every time <laughs> okay fair Strong. i don't really go there's not like one dish that i love i go for the ambiance sure i think the service is amazing sometimes yep. i just sit at the bar and get appetizers and have a drink all right. right 
any other if you're if you're if you have guests in town where would mm-hmm. you take them I'm like, we, we want to get a couple because no one said mud hen yet i don't think have they uh-huh. i have no idea i I'd, think somebody did say mud hen. i hardly i hardly pay attention did kim coco say mud hen no but i do remember i do remember uh the desert island que- and lo- enough time has passed i can say the desert island question she's like, no i'm not answering that next <laughs> question she's like no. really yeah. yeah kim coco did not have time she's for like trifling. i'm she's trying to win the lieutenant governor right yeah. i don't have time to stick around and think she's about like you. that's not gonna help me get elected yeah <laughs> maybe I don't who knows that. who knows love you kim know. coco please don't be offended that we told us oh, she's great anyways <laughs> Yeah, so what are some other? What are some other favorites? Uh, well, I would just say Pig and the Lady. I'm sure that's been lady. said a thousand times. A couple people but said that. But it is kind of a, a visitor crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. I had two friends from New York visiting there um, last year, and they just they loved it. I took yeah. a visitor And the owner came ago. out, and we talked to the owner for like half an hour. Oh, he's great. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. And we had broth that was like to die for. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything they make and it's is hard. Amazing. I mean, it's hard to come to Honolulu, people from New York, and impress them. Really? For people. Yeah. You know? Hey, everything. Is the food supposed to be good in New York? Um, I think <laughs> so. Kidding, I'm kidding. If you have money to spend, it is. Yeah. 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 I think we have a pretty good food scene here. It got a lot better. Yeah. It got a lot better since uh, I moved here in 2012. Yeah. When I, when you I could f- take the credit for that, I think, single-handedly. That's fair. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. I'll t- I'm, it's okay. Keep up yeah. the good work. Well, I'll do what I can. Melanie, well, thank you again for joining us. It's been really awesome talking with you, yeah. learning a lot. Uh, do you have any any final thoughts any other words of wisdom you oh, like how can people audience? how can people like yeah find you on social are you on social are you are you a follower where do people person? go to learn more yeah if they well, i have a website yeah. yeah okay right one has to uh it's melaniearwarner.com okay yeah and there's more information about the book on there okay okay and and then i'm on twitter and that handle is at melanie warner at melanie warner i believe it could be that's what it says in our show notes does it okay <laughs> Because you know how you never type in your, your yeah, Twitter yeah, yeah. handle? Yeah. I'm pretty uh, sure are you, it's, at, it's Melanie. at Melanie underscore Warner is what we have. Okay. At Melanie underscore Warner. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Go with that. And then, um, yeah, I'm on Facebook, but I don't usually use that for book stuff sure, or work sure, stuff. Sure. That's just personal stuff. Are you following us on Twitter? Uh, no, but I think I need to be. Well, I'd, we're following you. You're so. following me? Yeah. Okay. So no big deal. Okay. We'll just... Uh, <laughs> we won't take it personally. No. Listeners, we did not realize this before we booked yeah. her. Sorry, uh, this won't happen again. Yeah, we'll just go ahead and edit this whole interview out. <laughs> but, um, all right. Well, yeah. Any any final thoughts, things that you'd, that you'd um, like to impart upon our, our dear caution, listeners? Cautionary warnings, like whatever alternative medicine you try, absolutely 100% do not do mm, this. Yeah. No, because I don't want to... You know, because here's the thing. Like, I really do think that... At a certain level, yes, you can have clinical studies that say, yes, acupuncture is effective, yeah. right, for certain things. Uh, chiropractic is effective. But not everyone is going to want to have needles poked into them. Not everyone's mm. going to want to have their back pushed on. So it really does come down to what people respond to. Like the person that they're that they're working with, I think there's a lot in the, the human connection between two people. Um, so I wouldn't want to disparage anything that anyone is is doing, even though I did earlier in the show. But I won't. I won't do that. Only again. for co- only for the purposes of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. No, I really do feel like if it if someone feels like it's working for them and it's helping them, and they're they're being helped in their on their journey to try and um, heal themselves or to figure even just to manage their symptoms, I think that's can be incredibly powerful. Um, yeah. No matter no matter what it yeah. is. And then the other one thing I will say is that. We didn't talk a lot about this, but I think that there's a big role that alternative therapies can pay, play um, for chronic pain. And chronic mm. pain is a big deal, right? It's like a big deal. There's like the statistics are like a third of all people experience pain every every day um, for more than three months, which is how chronic pain yeah. is, is defined. I and be- there's really good research of why some of these therapies can help people with chronic pain. Yeah, I believe it was the in the psychosomatic clinic, you were talking to a woman who came in and said her pain every day was a seven or an eight. And yeah. then... After two months in the program, she said it was like a three or a four. A three or four. And it, yeah, and it was more modulated. Like some days it would still be a six or a seven, but a lot of days it was like a two or a three. And she felt like she had a little bit more control over it. Yeah, you know? it was fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to read this book, The Magic Feather Effect, The Science of Alternative Medicine and the Surprising Power of Belief. Uh, find it on Amazon. Find it at Barnes & Noble. Um, wherever you get your books. Melanie, thank you. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Melanie Warner, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it's time for shout-out. Shout-out. First shout-out. Russian cosmonaut Oleg 
Artemyev. Yes. Russian cosmonauts. Comrade Oleg. Bring Aloha on spaceflight. Uh, uh, a Russian cosmonaut who brought some Aloha on six-month mission to International Space Station was welcomed in Hawaii today by Governor David Ige and former Governor George Ariyoshi. Yes, very nice. <laughs> it's a good Borat impression you're doing, man. Is it? Isn't that what they all sound like? Mission Commander Oleg Artemyev chose Hawaii as the name for his Soyuz spaceflight and carried with him a copy of the photo of the Ariyoshi family that Hawaii-born astronaut Ellison Onizuka had aboard the ill-fated Challenger mission in 1986. Do you know what? Yeah. My wife from Rocket City, USA. Yeah. You know what the name of her elementary school was? Ellison Onizuka Elementary School? Yep. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was what? Challenger Elementary School. Oh. What's... Do you know what the name of her middle school was? Columbia? Challenger Middle School. Hashtag never forget. I don't know. Challenger <laughs> High School? No. She, okay. Virgil I. Grissom High School. Weird. Yeah. Uh, but this is, this yeah. is cool. So, during, so basically, during a visit to the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum, Artemia have noted that Hawaii in the middle of the Pacific has had influences from both countries, including a series of Russian forts built, on the, built in the 1800s on, on Kauai and Oahu. Yeah. yeah. Artemyev broke with the tradition of using Soviet and later Russian names for missions and christened his flight Hawaii because the state lies between the two great powers. We have common history around this place, he said through an interpreter. There are some political tension between the countries, so we want to kind of loosen it a bit with the Hawaii mission. That's very nice. That's very. Now, you kind of shifted from Borat into Bruno a little bit at the end there. <laughs> like, I never claimed to be an expert on <laughs> accents, okay? Maybe, maybe, I'll be the, I'll, maybe I'll do the accents from now on. All right, Holly. No, I'm sorry. I'm just being mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, I'm just... <laughs> also... Listeners, please get in touch at Blue Hawaii Pod, at Blue Hawaii Ryan. Let Ryan know how bad he is at accents. They're going to... Dude, you're going to be overwhelmed uh, with the outpouring of love and support. No one likes a bully, Josh. Uh, Dean Soifer... I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> uh, you, shout out... News from UH Law School. Shout out Dean, Dean Soifer. Avium Soifer. Uncle Avi. Stepping down soon. Oh. Wow. End of an era. End of an era. A uh, new UH Law School Dean coming soon. Good luck. <laughs> I'll throw my name in the ring. Yeah. Happy birthday to the Hokulea on March 8th, 2019. The iconic Polynesian deep sea voyaging canoe celebrated her 44th birthday. That's Badass. incredible. Very cool. It's pretty sweet. The Hokulea is really cool. Did you see, uh, you saw, everybody's seen the Eddie Aikau 30 for 30? I mean, not everybody in this room Strongly has, recommend. Yeah. Also, PBS was just showing, uh, there's a 2010 documentary, an older documentary that they're they're rebroadcasting. Thirty thirty. Shut up. <laughs> About Mao Piailug, the the Micronesian, the master navigator, who during the Hawaiian Renaissance, the 70s, basically taught Nanoa Thompson and everybody at the Hokulea everything. That's dope. Yeah, check it out, everybody. Highly recommend. I, I also think about whenever I hear about Polynesian voyaging, I always think back to the episode when we had Shaw Ongolongolon, who was like talking about like how all of Polynesia essentially shares like a, a common ancestor yeah. and how amazing that culture was for just being able to go literally the yeah. entire world on freaking canoes yeah that's what we don't need we don't need no compasses are you kidding me that's so dope get that, get that holy stuff out of here so dope now, shout out did you see uh <laughs> uh lebron pass michael jordan on the all-time scoring list pretty the cool activated playoff mode yeah. yeah you know they're gonna miss them but he activated it yeah. you know it's amazing uh when you don't have to play defense you you save all your energy for scoring. It's true. Easy, perfect. Uh, some. Oh, you you shared this with me. This is a this is a worlds collide. Yes. War. Uh, go go. Yolani no koi. If war, war war eagle. If you were if you were looking at us right now, listeners, we have our arms linked and are uh, sipping champagne like at a wedding feast because that's how intertwined yes. the story is about to get with our cultures. Young Everett Lau, Yolani grad, and current Auburn baseball superstar propelled the Tigers to victory with a three-run homer in the seventh inning over... Is that University of Tennessee Martin or University of Texas Martin? Tennessee. University of Tennessee Martin. Suck it. They're UG not the volunteers. What are the, what's their mascot? Into the moccasins? The moc- yeah. You okay. didn't think I would know that, no, did you? Okay. Uh, yeah. UT mocks. That's <laughs> what, what they say. Shout out to the Cook Islands, the tiny Pacific nation. You know, we're, we, we're jumping all over the place here. We're going back to talking about... Uh, it's our show. We can jump po- around over Polynesia one. Voyaging. Yeah. They are changing their name to drop the reference to British explorer Captain James Cook in favor of a title that reflects its Polynesian nature. Have they come up with a name yet? Not yet, but because of the government initially set up a committee to find an indigenous name that would sit alongside the existing title, instead, the committee decided the better plan, abandon the Captain Cook name, and adopt a standalone name in the local Maori language. Dope. So they, they are a small group of islands about 1,900 miles northeast of New Zealand. 
Uh, they've been effectively autonomous since the 65, but they're in a free association with New Zealand. Um, so shout out to them. And last shout out. Last but not least. Southwest Airlines. They're coming. They're coming. And we haven't received any sponsorship offers from Hawaiian Airlines, just saying yet. So our loyalty is still up for grabs. We, did, will, we, ta- we talked about that. I will bag. shill for I'll... Southwest hard. Name your price, Southwest. Uh, Want to get away? Yeah. Give us a little bit of money. You are now free to move about the podcast. Ooh, look at us. Yeah. Look at look at the branding. Seamless. Listeners, for this is Southwest's marketing department. Thank you. I mean, we wrote we did that nice shout out to the Hanaho magazine and Hawaiian Airlines. We tagged them on all the social media. We haven't heard a peep. Nothing. Haven't heard a peep. So we're calling you out, Hawaiian Airlines. Except except the only you may be the most on time airline in the in America, but you are not on time with sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> You're not on time with my heart. That's true. <laughs> Well, it's been another terrible week. No, it's been a great oh, week. Oh, it's been a great the week. The only thing that made it terrible is you got on Twitter for like a total of four hours this week. The worst four hours of my life. And uh, you all of a sudden remembered that hell really is a place. Hell. Ooh, hell is a place on, on my phone. <laughs> well, uh, you know, whatever Ilhan Omar says, folks, you don't have to pledge our allegiance to us. Just keep listening. Yeah. Just keep listening. Uh Thank you again for listening. Find us on social media. Yes. Uh, at Blue Hawaii Pod on Twitter, Blue Hawaii Podcast on Instagram, BlueHawaiiPodcast.com. Uh, get at us, connect. Let us know what you are. Let us know what's important to you. Let us know the things that you care about, and we'll probably talk about them. Um, if you got any feedback, give it to us and share the episode because it really helps. That was a great outro, Ryan. Love you. Bye. Ciao. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.